our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. And some of uh, people that watch Roller Martin Unfiltered on YouTube have been following me on my YouTube channel also, which is great. We're at almost at 59,000 followers on my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. So I saw a story uh, from the New York Times back on September 19th. I read the New York Times and Washington Post each day. And usually in the morning, I get emails all day from them. Um, this story dealt with rewriting the Alabama state constitution, rewriting the Alabama state constitution. Now, you know, we, we've talked about the Alabama state constitution here on this show. We talked about it on Wednesday. Okay. Because this is one of the things that I deal with in, uh, the 10 week online course I teach on Saturdays from the civil war to the civil rights movement and black power, 1865 to 1968. So uh, I saw this story dealing with Alabama and actually both stories today that we're going to talk about are current stories and they both deal with Alabama. Alabama begins removing racist language from its state constitution. Alabama begins removing racist language from its state constitution. Now, if you've been paying attention here on this show, and if, if you take my, my set, if you're in my Saturday online course, you know that the last time the Alabama state constitution was written was in 1901. And in 1901, they rewrote it to uh, impose white supremacy and impose poll taxes and literacy tests to lock African-Americans out of political power in the state of Alabama. Alabama is also where you had uh, Governor George Wallace, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Alabama is where you also had the Montgomery bus boycott. Okay, Montgomery, Alabama. Alabama is also where you have Bloody Sunday, March 7th, 1965. Okay, during the summer to Montgomery March. Uh, and, um, so Alabama is very historic, uh, when we deal with the history of African-Americans and we deal with civil rights history And Alabama is also where you had, uh, where the lawsuit of, um, Shelby County versus Holder 2013 U S Supreme court case that gutted section five of the 1965 voting rights act that originates out of Alabama also. Okay. And that resulted in 868 fewer polling places in the 2016 presidential election, which helped Donald Trump win. That results today in 1,700 fewer polling places because of Shelby County versus Holder, which is an attack on the 1965 Voting Rights Act. And this allows the uh, new voter ID laws coming from states, because when you look at the 2016 presidential election, 24 hours after the decision of Shelby County versus Holder, U.S. Supreme Court case, states started passing uh, new voter ID laws within 24 hours. But Alabama begins removing racist language from its constitution. Many outdated provisions have long, many outdated provisions have long since been invalidated, but the language that was specifically intended to enshrine white supremacy has remained in the Alabama state constitution. 
former Confederate state, former state that took up arms against the Union and insurrection, okay? Some of their descendants were there January 6th at the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building. They took up arms against the Union, committed treason against the Union based upon Article 3, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution, and they took up arms to maintain slavery in the U.S. Civil War. This is Alabama. Now, we'll talk about this as well, and we'll relate, we'll talk some about the Alabama State Constitution of 1901, because when we look at this here, the new constitution, uh, 1901 was when the constitution was rewritten, was written before, uh, Alabama State Constitution. The last time Alabama politicians rewrote their state constitution back in 1901, their aspirations were explicitly racist. Quote, to establish white supremacy in this state, end quote. To establish white supremacy in this state, end quote. That's what John Knox said. John Knox was the president of the Constitutional Convention, the Alabama uh, State Constitutional Convention in 1901 that rewrote the Alabama State Constitution. John Knox said, quote, the new constitution eliminates the ignorant Negro vote and places the control of our government where God Almighty intended it, it should be with the Anglo-Saxon race. This is in 1901, rewriting the Alabama State Constitution imposing poll taxes and literacy tests to lock African-Americans out of voting and lock them out of political power. Well, now African-Americans are working to remove, allow the race, remove the racist language that is still in the Alabama State Constitution. So this article is from September 19th, 2021. I saw it when it came out, so I was going back looking at it. I said, look, well, we talked about attorney Fred Gray today on uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered, who grew up in Alabama, legendary civil rights attorney. He's in the news as well. So I said, we'll talk about both of these stories. We'll connect both of these together because that's what we do here. Okay, all that gossip and simple salmon ass nonsense. We don't have time for that stuff. Dude. We, we do with real topics here. We do with real substance. Now, who is attorney Fred Gray? Many of you have heard me talk about attorney Fred Gray before. You familiar with the Montgomery bus boycott? Started Monday morning, December 5th, 1955. You familiar with the Tuskegee experiment of untreated syphilis in the Negro male, which was exposed in 1973 and ended in 1973. Attorney Fred Gray was the attorney who filed the lawsuit of Browner versus Gale, February 1st, 1956, that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's this lawsuit. That's what ended the Montgomery bus boycott. OK, because the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that it was unconstitutional to have segregation on the buses in Montgomery, Alabama. Well, in the, the, the boycott uh, didn't end because the bus company went out of uh, went out of business, as some people mistakenly think. No. The company didn't go out of business. They lost a lot of money. It was the U.S. Supreme Court ruling. Attorney Fred Gray was the attorney who filed the lawsuit. He's a famous civil rights attorney. Attorney Fred Gray was the attorney who filed uh, a lawsuit on behalf of the survivors of the Tuskegee, uh, 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 the, uh, Tuskegee experiment of untreated syphilis in a Negro male. That was attorney Fred Gray. Well, in Montgomery, Alabama, 
Montgomery renames Jeff Davis Avenue for civil rights attorney Fred uh, Fred Gray. Okay, this just happened uh, this past week. It was Tuesday, October fifth. Uh, they passed a resolution in the uh, in city council, and we're, we're going to talk about this story because these stories are connected. Attorney Fred Gray grew up on Jeff Davis Avenue in Montgomery, Alabama during segregation, and he set out on a mission. He set out on a mission to become an attorney to put things right and fight for his people. Who is Jeff Davis Avenue named after? Jeff Davis Avenue is named after Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, who was from Mississippi and a white supremacist slave owner, a traitor to the union. That's who the street that attorney Fred Gray grew up on is named after. So we're gonna deal with both of these topics here today because they're both related. They're both in the news right now. This article right here from the Montgomery uh, Advertiser newspaper in Montgomery, Alabama. This is from October 5th, uh, 2021 updated October 6th. This is in the news right now. We talked about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered as well. I dropped some knowledge on the history. We're gonna share that clip. And then also we'll talk about the 10 week online course I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, where we go through and deal with all this history. And we look at each class, we deal with approximately a 10 year period of history uh, from the, the end of the Civil War through uh, the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power Movement. We do this uh, Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All the classes are live. We uh, and, and they're archived, so you can go back and watch them anytime. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We had a fantastic class this past uh, Saturday. As soon as you register, you can watch last Saturday's class. That's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, so we're going to give I'll give a brief preview of a brief review recap of some of the things we talked about in the class. Now, just Wednesday, we did a recap of the class. Wednesday, we talked about Remember, we talked about Nathan Bedford Forrest. Nathan Bedford Forrest was the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. They just removed Nathan Bedford Forrest's um, bust from the Tennessee State Capitol just a few months ago. Okay? Nathan Bedford Forrest is in the news also. Again, we'll, we'll talk about Nathan Bedford Forrest, who led the Fort Pillow Massacre in 1864. At, 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 um, during the U.S. during the Civil War, and the Fort Pillow Massacre, uh, and that one is about 300 African American soldiers who died. Estimates are many of them executed, shot in the head, point blank. Many of them executed. Well, who led that execution? Who 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 led that massacre against Union soldiers, killing African American Union soldiers? Nathan Bedford Forrest. Look at this article here from the Washington Post. The Civil War massacre that left nearly 200 black soldiers murdered. Nathan Bedford Forrest is in the news also. All these stories are connected. We'll deal with this as well. So you have some people who are, are saying, oh, we should leave the Confederate monuments up. This is history. Yeah, it's history, but it's bad history. It's the history of the traitors. It's the history uh, 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 of the losers. 
It's the history of the insurrectionists, the traitors to the Union. Every last one of the Confederate monuments and statues should be taken down, not destroyed, put them in museums. You have to preserve the history, you have to teach the history. In their place should be historical markers that talk about what was there and why it was taken down. But you have to correct the history and deal with the revisionist history of the lost cause movement that was heavily financed by the United Daughters of the Confederacy to change the reason why the Civil War was fought and, and, and make it about states' rights and, and the South was fighting for states' rights. No, they were fighting to maintain slavery. They said so in their statements of secession. They were fighting to maintain slavery because they said it was essential to their way of life. Also, at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church, on Friday, October 15th through Sunday, October 17th, they're having their uh, social justice uh, conference 2021, the Social Justice Conference 2021. The keynote speaker on Saturday, October 16th will be Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, who led the prosecution against Derek Chauvin. He's going to be right here in Detroit, Saturday, October 16th. Keynote speaker, Hartford Memorial Baptist Church Social Justice Conference 2021. Guess who's going to be giving a workshop there? Once again, me, because I, uh, uh, Sister Mary Grant and the pastor there, they, they invite me to uh, be a speaker at the Social Justice Conference. So I will be there also. This year's theme is the Black Church. Visit their website, hmbcdetroit.org, hmbcd, hmbcdetroit.org. We'll put this up here on the screen. We'll get you some more information about this. They have the information at their website, African History, uh, at their website um, for uh, Hartford Memorial Baptist Church. We'll put the information on our website also, uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? But I will be there and uh, I'll be, I'll, I'll do a, a workshop. We have to figure out if I'm gonna do one or two workshops, we'll figure it out. Uh, I have to talk to Sister Mary Grant. Uh, but this is the so Social Justice Conference 2021 at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church in Detroit, okay? All right, we'll come up here on the break. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, the future radio on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted, empower yourself. Start your free trial today. 
network show. We do current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a policy. Stand by. What's up, Robert? That put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take it out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. W-A-V-L gets a facelift. Stand and by. it's now my 38th feature. Along with a facelift comes a new program on Mondays at 8 p.m. Catch a two-hour block of Law & Order SVU. Tuesday, Chicago Fire. Wednesday, Dateline. More Dateline and Chicago TV on Thursdays and on Fridays. You'll get more Chicago TV to start your weekend. We'll still have some of your favorite shows like Mom, Blackish, and Friends. Just adding more for you to enjoy on my 38th. 910, the Super Station, the oldest radio station in town since 1922. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Friday, October 8th, 2021, and we're live. Um, calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. 313-778-7600. All right, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you haven't taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Uh, I want to jump into this first topic here, and then we'll give you some more information uh, about the uh, online class I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And we'll talk about the Social Justice Conference coming up at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church uh, Friday, October 15th through Sunday, October 17th, 2021. And uh, I'll be speaking there on uh, Saturday, October 16th. And once again, the keynote speaker will be Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, who led the prosecution against Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd. Okay. And uh, even though Keith Ellison wasn't there um, actually trying the case, I mean, he put together a hell of a prosecutorial team. OK, so we'll talk about that as well. All right. Right before the break, I was um, talking about this story, uh, this first story out of Alabama. I saw this article from The New York Times. From uh, originally September 19th. Uh, 2021, and it was updated uh, October 7th, okay? Alabama begins removing racist language from its constitution, okay, from its state constitution. And when we look at this article, they talk about the state constitution was written back in uh, 1901. Um, it was the last time it was uh, rewritten. And they did so with aspira the, the, the aspirations were explicitly racist to establish white supremacy in this state. John Knox, 
the president of the Constitutional Convention said um, the new constitution eliminates the ignorant Negro vote and places the control of our government where God Almighty intended intended it should be with the Anglo-Saxon race. Okay, uh, so the president he was the president of the Constitutional Constitutional Convention. He said this in a speech encouraging voters to ratify the state constitution that year 1901 now 120 years later the jim crow era laws that disenfranchised african-american voters and enforced segregation across alabama are gone but the offensive language but the offensive language written in the alabama state constitution remains now as communities across the south reconsider racist symbols and statues and confederate monuments activists in alabama who have labored for 20 years activists in alabama who have labored for 20 years to convince voters that re that rewriting their constitution is important and long overdue see an opportunity to get it done okay uh one of those people is uh, America Coleman, assistant minority leader in the Alabama uh, State House. America Coleman, okay? He's one of these people who's leading this charge. Now, uh, Marva Douglas is an actress and retired teacher who first joined Alabama Citizens for Constitutional Reform, the organization Alabama Citizens for Constitutional Reform, she first joined this organization in the early 2000s. Marva Douglas said, I'm tired of being treated as a second-class citizen in terms like, uh, terms like colored that are throughout the Alabama state constitution play a part in that feeling because the, the word colored is still in the Alabama state constitution. They got a whole lot of crazy stuff here in the state constitution. Now, efforts to rewrite the Alabama state constitution have failed twice before, but last fall, voters jolted partly by racial justice protests across the country that took place during the summer of 2020, surrounding George Floyd and the Maude Arbery and Breonna Taylor and many others. Because of these protests, this gave a green light to working to remove this racist language from the Alabama state constitution. Now, th uh, uh, this month, a committee of lawmakers, we're going back to actually in September 2021, a committee of lawmakers and lay people began the process of redrafting the Alabama state constitution. Their work will go before the voters in 2021, in 2022, next year, 2022, to be ratified before the new constitution can take effect. Now, the redrafting campaign may not be as dramatic as efforts elsewhere to reform the criminal justice system or tear down confederate monuments but advocates argue that addressing racist language advocates argue that addressing racist language is a critical part of reckoning with the past now paul farber is the director of monument lab a philadelphia-based public art and research uh, studio dedicated to examining how history is told in the in the public landscape. 
Paul Farber said it's not an either or, it's a continuum. It's not an either or, it's a continuum. He said part of the work is to understand how symbols carry weight and how they are connected to systems that structure public institutions and spaces and opportunity, how system, how symbols carry weight and how they are connected to systems that structure public institutions and spaces and opportunity. Now, Shay Farley is a regional policy director for the Southern Poverty Law Center. And Shay Farley describes the effort as a way for the state of Alabama to signal its collective rejection of white supremacy, its collective rejection of white supremacy that was encoded in the state constitution 1901. So you, you have to understand this history because after reconstruction ends, you have this effort to rewrite these state constitutions in Mississippi. We've talked about the Mississippi state constitution, 1890, it became known as the Mississippi plan. Solomon Saladin Calhoun, who was the white county judge who presided over the Mississippi state convention said, we are here to exclude the Negro. He made it plain, like Malcolm said. Malcolm said, make it plain. He made it plain. He said, we are here to exclude the Negro. And what Mississippi did became the model that South Carolina implemented in 1895 in their state constitution, Louisiana 1898 in their state constitution, Alabama 1901 in their state constitution. And these southern states, or these former Confederate states are going going through rewriting the state constitutions, encoding barriers to the 15th Amendment, poll taxes, literacy tests, in some cases, like in Louisiana, implementing property ownership requirements to be able to vote to lock African-Americans out of voting. This is why you needed a Voting Rights Act in 1965 to strike down and make illegal those laws that were written into the state constitutions. We must remove, we must remove the lingering vestiges of racial segregation and legalize oppression of Alabama's black residents. Shay Farley, uh, regional policy director of the Southern Poverty Law Center said in a letter endorsing the constitution project to remove this racist language from the Alabama state constitution that was put in there in 1901. The effort will start by extracting passages like section 256, which still says that separate schools, quote, separate schools shall be provided for white and colored children. This is straight from the Alabama state constitution, the language that's in there right now. Quote, separate schools shall be provided for white and colored children and no child of either race shall be permitted to attend a school of the other race, end quote. Remember Governor George Wallace, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, you governor of Alabama. And Donald Trump is a combination of George Wallace and Richard Nixon. See, if we understood history, we would have stopped uh, Donald Trump. Trump, Trump won Michigan by 10,704 votes. 
He won Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania by 78,000 popular votes, which gave him the electoral college votes associated with those three swing states. If we actually understood how the electoral college worked and realized that it's not the national vote that matters, the national popular vote is the popular vote per state because you win the you win the electoral college votes associated with a state by winning the popular vote in the state and Republicans understood that. That's why they engaged in rampant voter suppression in key battleground states to shave off one, two or three percentage points in those states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. So Trump could win those states by two tenths of a percentage point, one tenth of a percentage point and get 360 electoral college votes. See, understanding political self-defense means understanding the laws. I said, we need to understand the law better than they understand the law. If they use the law to trap us and to oppress us, shouldn't we know the law better than they know the law so we understand how to navigate throughout it and not get caught up in the booby, booby traps and pitfalls and understand how to disarm them of that weapon and use it against them? Politics is the legal distribution a scarce wealth, power, and resources and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, the adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Everything they do to us, they use the law to do it. Then when they get caught breaking the law, they hire an attorney at law to defend them in the court of law. Shouldn't we understand the law better than they understand the law? So, see, we're playing a, 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 a game of political football and don't know the difference between a first down and a touchdown. That's why we have to read the U.S. Constitution. The state constitution of Alabama, we'll go to the phone lines in just a minute. The state constitution of Alabama included a ban on interracial marriage until a statewide vote in the year 2000, even though the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that interracial marriages were legal in all states in 1967, that's the Loving case, 1967. But it was still in the Alabama state constitution until the year 2000 that it was illegal. Quote, the legislature shall never pass any law to authorize or legalize any marriage between any white person and a Negro or descendant of a Negro, end quote, the state constitution once said of Alabama. Now, it, 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 the Alabama State Constitution still includes descriptions of former voting requirements that were generally used to disenfranchise African-American residents, including including literacy tests and poll taxes. That's still in the Alabama State Constitution right now. The Constitution written before women won the right to vote with the 19th Amendment of 1920 also includes language restricting voting to men only in the Alabama state constitution right now. Two previous failed efforts to remove the section of school segregation, section 256, which outlawed nationally, which was outlawed nationally by the Supreme Court in its Brown versus Board of Education, 1954 US Supreme Court case were complicated by a related debate over a 1956 state amendment that said Alabama did not recognize any right 
to a publicly funded education whatsoever, language that was aimed at thwarting the ruling on desegregation. If you study Birmingham, Alabama, we know Birmingham is where you had the uh, 16th, 16th Street uh, uh, church bombing, Four Little Girls Were Killed, September 1963, about three weeks after the March on Washington. But they were bombing so many people's houses in Birmingham, Alabama, that African-Americans called Birmingham Bombingham. African-Americans called Birmingham Bombingham because they were bombing so many people's uh, African-Americans houses, not just in Birmingham, but also in Alabama altogether. We know Dr. King's house was firebombed twice in 1956 during the Montgomery bus boycott. And then in uh, uh, Birmingham, uh, uh, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, uh, his house was firebombed also. When advocates tried to get rid of both passages at once, in 2004, uh, surrounding uh, school segregation. Opponents argued that the result would be higher taxes to increase school funding. Then in 2012, an effort to get rid of the segregation language without touching the public funding language drew opposition from school advocates, ultimately leaving the Constitution as it was. Now, this is Marva Douglas, actress and involved in uh, this movement since 2007, involved in the organization Alabama Citizens for Constitutional Reform since, two, since the early 2000s, I should say, since the early 2000s. All right, let's go to the, uh, let's go to the phone lines quickly. Let's go to, let's go to line one. We have uh, Norm. Norm, welcome to the African History Network show. Thanks for holding, Norm. Tell us where you're calling from. Hey, well, I'm calling from Tampa, Florida. Here. T Tampa, Florida. Okay. Yes, sir. I'm happy to have me on your show today. Oh, thanks. Hey, hey, Norm. Quick question, Norm. Are you on a Are you on a speakerphone or something? Your voice sounds muffled, Norm. Are you on a speakerphone or Bluetooth earpiece? My voice. You sound muffled. Let me take this. Yeah, okay, take it off. Yeah, take it off. I don't sound like even now, do I? Okay. So listen, I wanted to mention interesting about the health care in Alabama, Mississippi, and these places, and how this segregation has worked. You know, one of the things that we write about is about health care and these targeting of black doctors. I want to take this to this about where this spread of the COVID virus, when you look at the death rate of the black folk as a result of the COVID virus, and the black folk remain most unvaccinated, mm -hmm. and, or when you have children, uh, I would think it's that one out of every 310 black children have lost a, uh, a, 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 a parental guide due to COVID. You start noticing one thing that's not being talked about. And these are the heavy areas, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, where they are systematically removing and harvesting black health care providers uh, from the system under the guise of, uh, of uh, prescribing pain medication. And that's the important thing that we need to understand, that we suffer from discrimination 
from uh, this type of uh, treatment. Right. And there was a very important hero in our life named Ronald uh, Myers. He died. He died young, uh, physician and from Wisconsin, maybe from Chicago, and Chicago, moved down south. And he began to describe the deplorable treatment that black folk were receiving and stuff. So we died in 2018. And now when we fast forward, uh, and the, the targeting media, now when we fast forward to 2021, we see in the very same areas where he had in his medical practice, uh, the low vaccination rate and the high amount of death occurring in black folk. And you see this in Alabama. You also see it in Louisiana. You see it in Arkansas. And so, and so I want people to say that when you talk about not only removal, the failure to remove these statutes and uh, uh, these, these different languages in there, mm-hmm. but it also doesn't still work. They do not, the, the, the attitude is still the same. The practice is while the, the practice is still the same to, to, to keep their backs and exterminate black folk. And you see this in healthcare. And that's all I, I didn't want to fight you because I sent you an article on this about Brother Ronald uh, Myers, a hero. And he, in fact, he was such a good person. He was a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. He was a reverend. And, uh, and the brother was one of the fathers of the uh, Juneteenth movement, National Juneteenth movement. And he had gone to Washington to, to help. The young brother died at 61, and they essentially killed him. They, when you you say you, you you say you email me some information about uh, about Ron about Ronald I put that on your comment section uh, you can find it on my blog I have a blog we have a blog okay. it's a bunch of black doctors we have a blog together called you are within the norms dot com and that uh, there's a very interesting case in Detroit and Michigan right of a Dr Leslie Pompey a hand uh, anesthesiologist who's going through the same thing and Monroe, Michigan, right. and stuff. A, a brother who is heavy in terms of treating, he treats everybody. I mean, these people are seeing most of them as white folks, you know, and they're, right. they're, they're seeing black people taking care of business, taking care of our health care, and being targeted by the U.S. eliminated. So when they eliminate, you should look, look what's happening. You okay. Ron, yeah, Ron, do me a favor. Do me a favor. Yeah, yeah, do me a favor. Are you on Facebook? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, my, my okay, my Facebook fan page is the African History Network. The African History Network. Inbox me that article there uh, on, on Facebook and I in our, okay. uh, in our okay. inbox. The African History Network. Yeah, the African History Network is our Facebook fan page. Inbox me that article there. The African History Network. The African History Network. Yeah, because this sure. is because this is the African yes, History sir. Network show. You on Roland Martin, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, on today. You on Roland Martin? I knew that. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right, Ron. Very interesting article. Alpha Alpha Fraternity. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, that's Roland's fraternity. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Ron. Call back Sunday. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Ron called in. I was reading this article earlier uh, today from NBC News. Um, black. Blacks, Latinos, and Native Americans disproportionately disproportionately killed by COVID-19 last year, study says. Deaths among Blacks and Native Americans were three to four times higher 
in Latino deaths were nearly two times higher than in white populations, the study finds. Uh, this article is from October 5th, uh, 2021. Uh, so we'll probably talk about this on Sunday show. Okay, but check that out. All right, now, uh, I want to go back to this here quickly, and then we're going to go to the story about attorney Fred Gray. Uh, if we go back to this article here from the New York Times, uh, this article deals with the removing of racist language from the Alabama State Constitution that was rewritten in 1901. In the Alabama State Constitution, was uh, written to enshrine white supremacy. Okay, it was written to enshrine enshrine white supremacy, and it was written to uh, suppress the African American vote. It was written to codify white supremacy, and that's not me saying this. Um, it's, this is something that we deal with in the uh, online course I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. But if we look at Encyclopedia of Alabama and we look at the uh, Alabama, uh, they have information about the Alabama State Constitution there of 1901. OK, this is Encyclopedia of Alabama. Um Alabama Constitution in 1901, the first line tells you, written primarily to codify white supremacy by disfranchising or disenfranchised blacks, the Constitution of 1901 continues to shape Alabama politics in the 21st century. This is not me. This is, this is Encyclopedia of Alabama that tells you this. The Constitution of Alabama also concentrated power in the state legislature. It decreased opportunities for home rule and established voter requirements that even many white men could not meet because a lot of them were illiterate. The Alabama State Constitution of 1901 reduced the political influence of the state's many poor whites because they're trying to suppress the political power and the vote and oppress African-Americans. So it ended up hurting some poor white people because a lot of them were illiterate. It's going to be Alabama where you have the uh, Tuskegee, Alabama economic boycott of 1957. That boycott is going to last four times as long as the Montgomery bus boycott. That boycott was over voting rights because the state legislature in Alabama tried to redraw district lines in Tuskegee to lock almost all of the African-Americans out of the out of the new district they were trying to draw. African-Americans, in turn, retaliated with a four year economic boycott of white owned businesses and put 100 white owned businesses out of business. That lawsuit went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court lawsuit of Gomillion versus Lightfoot went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. This is the Tuskegee, Alabama economic boycott of 1957 that lasted four times as long as the Montgomery bus boycott, which lasted 381 days. This is all Alabama. And this is all over them trying to suppress 
African Americans' political power, which is also tied to economic power because politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. This is all connected. So we're, we're playing a game of political football and don't know the difference between the first down and the touchdown and wonder why we don't have points on the board or have very few points on the board. Sometimes we, sometimes we score points for the other team. Top, uh, to Representative Marika Coleman of uh, the, the uh, Alabama uh, State House, she's a Democrat, African-American woman, and the Assistant Minority Leader in the Alabama House of Representatives, getting rid of outdated racist language, getting rid of outdated racist language is an opportunity to improve the state's reputation. Because it's like, wait a second. You know, a lot of people don't want to travel to Alabama. You may have family down there and go down there. You want to see them, but it ain't so, I mean, you know, that, that's not on my top 10 list. You know, I may want to go see a civil rights museum or something like that, but it's like, oh, wait a second. Hold on, Alabama? <laughs> Last summer, 2020, she recalled, uh, Marika Coleman recalled just when many residents were participating in ceremonies honoring the life of civil rights leader John Lewis of the state house, one of her state house colleagues. I'm trying to tell you this. <laughs> See, people, a lot of people think this is ancient history. No, it's not. <laughs> I teach another class on ancient history. This is not ancient history. One of Marika Coleman's state house colleagues participated in a celebration of the birthday of Nathan Bedford Forrest. That white supremacist, Nathan Bedford Forrest, a Confederate general, major general for the Confederacy, and he was the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux, of the Ku Klux Klan. One of her colleagues in the Alabama State House participated in a celebration of this white supremacist. Whoever that dumbass is needs to be voted out of office. I'm telling you right now, you cannot let these white supremacists stay in office like this. You got it because, because they will keep laws in, pay, in place and pass laws that are harmful to us. You go to a you go to a celebration celebrating Nathan Bedford Force. They just removed the. We talked about this uh, Wednesday. They just removed the uh, bust of Nathan Bedford Force from the Tennessee uh, State Capitol building, okay? And, and that was in July. That was right, right around July uh, 23rd, Nathan Bedford Forrest. And it's also Nathan Bedford Forrest that led the uh, Fort Pillow Massacre, researched the Fort Pillow Massacre. He led the Fort Pillow, he, he led the uh, uh, Fort Pillow Massacre in 1864 that led to the execution that led to um, really about 300 um, African-American soldiers, Union soldiers being uh, killed. Many of them executed, shot point blank range. Many of them in the head after they surrendered. Like Nathan Bedford Forrest led that. And you got somebody in the in, in the state legislature in Alabama honoring this white supremacist. Hmm. Birds of a feather flock together. Read this article here from the Washington Post. The Civil War massacre that left nearly 200 black soldiers murdered. Nathan Bedford Forrest was the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. And you go honor him? This deals with Major, Major General Nathan Bedford Forrest, 
a ruthless slave trader, the first Grand Wizard in the Ku Klux Klan, and the man who, and the man who led the Confederate forces in a bloody Civil War battle in 1864 that became known as the Fort Pillow Massacre. That's Nathan Bedford Forrest. Just in case you see, you know, his name somewhere, say, hey, we're about to go to a party celebrating Nathan Bedford Forrest. You know who they're talking about. You may want to get some new friends or something. Those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching the African History Network on Facebook, Michael M. Hotep on YouTube, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. We're out of time here on 910 a.m. Superstation WFDF. We'll be back Sunday. We're on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Register for the 10-week online course I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, where we get deep into all this information. These class, we go through and analyze approximately a 10-year period of history. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have articles, book references, video clips. Um, click on register here, it takes you to the next page and you can register for the class. As soon as you register, you can, you can watch last week's classes, bonus content you can watch. Classes on sale, $70, regularly $130. Um, and even after the class is over, like next year, you can go back and watch the entire 10 week online course. And then on Sundays, I teach another class, um, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, Understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. That's on Sundays, uh, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement, that's Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right, we're out of time here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Uh, right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you Sunday. Peace. All right, stand by, everybody. Stand by. Let me disconnect this call. All right. Um, let's do this here. We're going to go to. Okay, stand by. I want to go to this clip here from uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered. We talked about attorney Fred Gray today. We're going to cue that up. Because uh, we ran out of time on 9, 10 a.m. We'll play that on Sunday. We have two hours on a Sunday show. What's everybody doing? We'll be here a few more minutes because I have to um, teach two classes tomorrow. Uh, so <laughs> I had to get ready for that. I had to teach two classes on Saturday, online classes, and two classes on Sunday. Uh, let's see here. Okay. So we left off here. Uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest. I was pulling this up, dealing with, uh, let me see here. We got this. We got this on him. Hold on. I want to pull up this article here from, uh, I should have pulled this up. Bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest. Uh, this is from. WZTV in uh, Tennessee. Let me see which one. Can we get this one right here? Uh, okay, actually, this is an article from the New York Times. We'll look at this one here. Bust the bust of Klan leader removed from Tennessee State Capitol. The bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest, a slave trader and Confederate general, 
and two U.S. Navy admirals were removed on Friday and installed at the Tennessee State Museum. Okay, this is on uh, July 23rd, uh, 2021. All right. I want to go to this clip here, Roland Martin and Filter. We talked about Attorney Fred Gray today. Uh, Attorney Fred Gray and... Let's pull this up here. Uh, okay, let's go back. And we talked about Attorney Fred Gray today, who is going to be honored. Uh, actually, they they they're naming the uh, street that he grew up on. They 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 named the uh, they're renaming the street that he grew up on. Uh, Naming it after him. Okay, let's go to this clip. People, specifically racist white people in this regard. Um, I, I, I don't have much else to say about that other than it, it's sadly expected. Michael? Yeah, this is uh, an example of a uh, defense attorney knowing that uh, they're desperate. So the first question that you would ask is, we're okay, so what was he in the middle of the street hunting? We were talking about Second Kyle question, Rittenhouse. Because the assistant prosecutor, assistant district attorney, Thomas Benger, uh, said, okay, uh, did he did he have a, uh, a a certificate to hunt? Did he have a, did he have a hunting license? Okay, so prove that. Uh, what, what, was he in, what was he in the street of Kenosha hunting? And did he have a legal license to hunt? Okay, and he said, if, if, if that's their argument, go ahead and make that argument. So this is this is an example of how you know your client is in deep uh, sugar honey iced tea. You're just trying to make stuff up. <laughs> and can we not forget that? Uh, can we not forget that this man? They raised two million dollars for this man, Kyle mm -hmm. Rittenhouse, the 17 year old. Okay, and then the officer that actually donated about almost fifty thousand dollars. Okay, he donated money. <laughs> And then the people donated money to the officer that was filed for donating money to Kyle Rittenhouse. This is just shenanigans, just disgusting growth. Ill. Uh, speaking, speaking of shenanigans in Alabama, the Montgomery City Council decision to charge a change the street name from a Confederate president to the honoring a civil rights icon, Dr. F uh, Reverend uh, Fred Gray, come with a healthy fine. Now, first of all, Attorney Fred Gray. The city council voted to rename the street from Jeff Davis Avenue to Fred D. Gray Avenue. Well, the unanimous vote could prompt a $25,000 fine as a result of 2017 Alabama state law that says cities or counties could not make any changes to Confederate mon monuments without state approval. Mayor, Mayor Stephen Reed said donors have already offered to pay the penalty on behalf of the city. Fred Graham, of course, is 90 years old. Uh, he served as the attorney for Dr. King for Rosa Parks. An exclusive interview I did with him is available, y'all. Uh, I don't know why we're using photos of him. We got the B-roll. I did a whole one-hour interview with him. Uh, so if y'all go to Black Star Network, yeah, why, why, guys, why, why, why are y'all using photos of Fred Gray when I talk to the man? Use <laughs> Lord have mercy. Um, anyway, y'all want y'all want. I, I'm just saying. I mean, you know, if you got a TV show, you use video. Uh, so if y'all want to see the actual video of Fred Gray, go to the Black Star Network exclusive. It's on the app. Download the app, phone, Android, Roku TV, Apple TV, Amazon Fire Stick, uh, Sam, uh, Xbox, Samsung, all of them. To y'all watch the actual video interview of Fred Gray. Don't ask me why we're showing still photos. I don't.
No, I cannot think of everything, y'all. Uh, all right. That shows you right there uh, how these people in Alabama are so stupid. Republicans love talking about local control, <laughs> but they really didn't want the people to have local control, Michael, over their own city. That's how racist roll. Well, keep in mind, Alabama is one of the most former Confederate states that took up arms against the Union to maintain slavery and committed uh, treason based upon Article 3, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution. So, th- I mean, this is, this is, this is Alabama. I mean, you, I mean, you look at the 1901 Alabama state constitution, they, they changed the state constitution to institute poll taxes and literacy tests to suppress the African-American vote. So, uh, yeah, they should go ahead and pay the fine. Uh, Fred Gray, fantastic man. He, and he, he filed the lawsuit of Browder versus Gale, February 1st, 1956, that ended, that ended the Montgomery bus boycott because that case went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And that's what ended the Montgomery bus boycott Got December 20th, 1956. So. Absolutely. He deserves it. Kelly? Yes. Kelly? I mean, (laughs) the fact that people are fighting so hard to not give a living black man his flowers, I mean, again, it is sadly expected, especially coming from a jurisdiction such as Alabama. Um, But it won't be like that for much longer. Um, He's going to get his flowers come hell or high water. And I look forward to the day that the name is changed and all is well. Tammy. Hey, Roland, listen, this is why I be talking about, like, we need representatives that are not too scared to talk, okay? We got all these people that are running for office, but y'all scared. You got to talk, okay? Because this is some law that is on the books, and this is some stuff that needed to have been addressed before, you know, this fine came up. You know, like, yes, people are going to pay the fine, but as my very esteemed panelist stated, you know, Alabama is the state that sued the Department of Justice during the Obama administration when Eric Holder mm-hmm. was the attorney general, which resulted in that 2013 Supreme Court decision that reversed the Voting Rights Act that we're now fighting for because the Republicans found the loophole for it. But let's be very clear to all of our uh, aggressive, quote unquote, Democrats, that happened during a Democratic administration, during a Democratic attorney general, and not until the Republicans found that little loophole is it now that we're speaking up and addressing the Supreme Court decision of 2013 that got these states discriminating against underrepresented groups. We need to be very clear. Yes, that was the state of Alabama, so we, we should expect shenanigans from the state of Alabama, but we also should be trying to strategize just like the Republicans be strategizing and beat them at their own game. All right, folks, got to go to a real quick quick break. We come back. I'll tell All right. So that was uh, an excerpt from Roland Martin Unfiltered today. That was an ex. That was an excerpt from uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered today. Um, I was on with two attorneys, and uh, we dealt with a number of different topics. We also talked about uh, Dave Chappelle. We also talked about Dave Chappelle as well uh, today, and, and comments uh, from Dave Chappelle um, from his. Um, Netflix special closer about uh, transgender community, LGBTQ, things like that. We talked about it as well. We'll, we'll may play a little bit of that on uh, our, on our show Sunday. We'll probably address some of that on our Sunday show. All right. Uh, here's the clip here from uh, Roland Martin unfiltered. Uh, here's the full, here's the full show from today. 
Okay, that's the full show from today. All right, now let's go back to this quickly. We'll, we'll come back to the story about Attorney Fred Gray. Uh, how's everybody doing? Okay. Also, if you like this type of information and want to support the African History Network, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show, PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. Uh, and then at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay. Uh, we're six days a week, Monday through Friday, 11 p.m. to midnight, and Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So this helps us keep doing the research and stay on the air, uh, keep broadcasting. This is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. And when you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. These other ones are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. Okay, that's not me. All right, so we just post this information here also. Okay, let's continue here quickly. Um, all right, I want to go back to this article here from um, New York Times dealing with the removing the racist language from the Alabama State Constitution. Okay, so uh, Marika Coleman was talking about um, a colleague of hers in the in the uh, state house, uh, Alabama State House representatives, who uh, attended a birthday celebration for Nathan Bedford Forrest. Okay, white supremacist Nathan Bedford Forrest, slave owner, and um, first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and just a, 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 a traitor to the Union who led the Fort Pillow Massacre of 1864. And she said, quote, that story made national news. All of the negative images that come from here make the news. Okay, uh, talking about um, the uh, birthday party for Nathan Bedford Forrest. But they had any like Civil War reenactments there, something like that. Now, uh, Marika Coleman wants the reputation of Alabama as she wants the rep she wants the reputation of Alabama as intolerant and racist to change. Okay, she wants the reputation of Alabama as intolerant and racist to change. Collectively, we are not those folks that were celebrating the birthday of the KKK. That's not who we are. She also worries the impact of the current constitution's effect on school children. She said, if your image based on what we're talking, if your image based on what we're talking specifically about the constitution is that you are not worthy enough to vote. You are not worthy enough to marry who you love. You are not worthy enough to have the best education possible. What does that say about who you are? And what about the superiority complex that it creates in, in non people of color in white people? 
and Europeans. Now, the project, if successful, to remove the racist language from the Alabama State Constitution, the project, if, if successful, will also allow the state to streamline the entire document, the entire state constitution, the longest state constitution in the United States of America, making it easier to navigate and understand and removing other sorts of outdated provisions. Now, Representative Coleman, uh, who sponsored the constitutional amendment that set the redrafting in motion and now chairs the committee considering changes to the charter also sees the removal of racist language as an entry point to conversations about current day policies, an entry point to conversations about current day policies that disproportionately affect African-Americans. Exactly. That's what you have to do. Use the momentum, momentum and attention that you get drawing attention to what's in that state constitution, relate that to policies and conditions of African-Americans that are disproportionate today to correct those conditions also. She points to a passage on involuntary servitude, which is illegal except in the case of people convicted of crimes. The practice, she says, is disproportionately affected African-Americans. Okay, now she said, I need to contact her. That's not true. That, that, that she's, she's referring to, uh, apparently she's referring to the 13th Amendment. 13th Amendment is based upon the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. That's, that's not a loophole. That's, that's misinformation. A lot of that's traced back to a prisoner in California in the 1960s named Lee Wood. I did an almost two-hour interview with Dr. Daryl Scott, history professor at Howard University, who teaches a class at Howard on from slavery to mass incarceration. And we went through and totally dissected that. That's that's false. And and the same thing. And, and back in back during the time of after the thirteenth amendment, eighteen sixty five, when you read about um, uh, what's going on at that time and African American activists and things like this, nobody's saying, "Oh, that's a loophole in the Constitution to re-enslave us." Things like this. Sharecropping did damage. Convict leasing system did damage. Sharecropping did more damage than the convict leasing system, but the convict leasing system goes back to the 1840s before the 13th Amendment was uh, was written and before it was ratified. 13th Amendment was ratified uh, December 6, 1865, when the Georgia State Legislature ratified the 13th Amendment, which legally ended slavery. That's a that's a that's a, a misunderstanding. And if we look at this. Um, if we look at this piece right here, the interview I did with Dr. Daryl Scott, you can watch that. That is on our YouTube channel and uh, on YouTube and Facebook. Read this article here. This is why we have to understand history and law and not deal with, and not deal with, um, um, not deal with misinformation and misunderstanding the history. Daryl Michael Scott, Daryl will one R. Bad history and worse social science have replaced truth. Bad history and worse social science have replaced truth. This is from uh, History News Network. History News Network. 
And in that interview, that two hour interview, we also talked about Ava DuVernay's 13th or 13th document, because that was we talked about the 13th Amendment and we talked about Ava DuVernay's 13th that helped push this um, misconception that the 13th Amendment re-enslaved people. No, 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 it didn't. That's not that's a misunderstanding of history and law. Um, And he has he talks about how he has students coming to this class thinking that the 13th Amendment re-enslaved African Americans all this nonsense. He calls them 13thers, okay? And they have to go through and like really deal with the history and law and understand this. But he traced this um, myth about the 13th Amendment to an incarcerated activist named Lee Wood in the 1960s in California. At first he thought it was Angela Davis who pushed this myth, but he said, um, uh, I had no idea where it came from initially within the academy. I traced it back to Angela Davis. She didn't make that big a deal of it. It was a passing comment, a little hyperbole in an essay usually means nothing. When I started going back and searching, I learned about Lee Wood, L-E-E-W-O-O-D, Lee Wood, the guy who was in prison in California and said he discovered this the guy who was in prison in California in the 1960s. And he said he discovered this loophole in the 13th Amendment of 1865. The other thing is, is and, and I realized this when I was doing research in 2016, uh, I was doing a, um, I was preparing to do a lecture dealing with the history of the war on drugs in 2016. And it was, uh, uh, largely dealing with Richard Nixon's war on drugs because the war on drugs started June 17th, 1971, when Richard Nixon declared his war on drugs and is asking uh, the U.S. Congress for more funding to fight the war on drugs. And the war on drugs disproportionately uh, uh, focused on African-Americans. What we call mass incarceration, we see, and it's, it's kind of tricky to define it, but that goes back to the early 1970s. The prison populations increased. I mean, in, in 1970s, only about 300,000 people in prison in this country. The prison populations in this country were relatively low. They started increasing in the early 70s after Richard Nixon, after Richard Nixon declared his war on drugs, June 17, 1971. So the question we have to ask is, well, wait a second. If the 13th Amendment, because this is after all the research I was doing. The question, and I saw Ava DuVernay's 13th. I saw it twice. It was all right. It was, it's, it's, it's some misinformation in there. But the question I kept coming back to, and I read the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, and she pushes this 13th notion also. I like Michelle Alexander. I met her once, but this is this, this not true. The question I kept coming back to after going through and studying from 1865 through the 1970s and 1980s, if the 13th Amendment was put in place to re-enslave African-Americans had this loophole in it, why did it take like 106 years for mass incarceration to start? If, if the 13th Amendment has this loophole in it, to re-enslave African-Americans. And that's why you have mass incarceration because the 13th Amendment. 
Why did it take 106 years for mass incarceration to start? You have relatively low incarceration rates going through the decades. They start increasing in the 1970s. That's the, after all the research, that's the question I kept coming back to. Then when I talked to Dr. Daryl Scott, because I'm like, this stuff ain't adding up because it's not true. That's why. So read this full article here. I don't have time to go through all of it. Watch the uh, two-hour interview I did with Dr. Daryl Scott. We went through and broke all this stuff down. And, and one of the things he told me, and, and one of the things that shed light on this, back in, it had to be 2019, back in 2019, because there was nothing going on in 2020 because of COVID. 2019, Dr. Daryl Scott came, uh, ASALA, Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. He's a past president of ASALA, which is the organization that Dr. Carter G. Woodson co-founded September 9th, 1915 in Chicago. Dr. Carter G. Woodson, the father of uh, Black History, the father of Black History Month. So Dr. Daryl Scott came to uh, the Charles H. Wright Museum of African-American History. He was doing a lecture there. It was in celebration of um, sort of African-American History Month and uh, celebration of a solemn. And we went to dinner afterwards, okay? There was a whole group of us uh, members of Asala and myself and uh, Jamon Jordan, who was the Detroit, was the president of the Detroit chapter of Asala at the same, at the same time. We've had Jamon on the show before. He's a brilliant historian also here in Detroit. He does tours, uh, the Black Scroll tours, dealing with the history of Detroit. You'll see him in documentaries and see him on MSNBC, things like this. So we went to get dinner. So uh, Jamon, myself, and Dr. Daryl Scott, we had this conversation that's about two hours long. So then I start asking him because Dr. Daryl Scott with Facebook friends. So we've been talking on Facebook and I start asking him questions. Okay. Cause he's working on a book dealing with, um, this 13th amendment myth. So I start asking him questions about it. And he said, look at South Carolina, for instance, South Carolina built its first state prison in 1866, the year after the Civil War ends, 1866, year after the 13th Amendment is ratified and goes into effect. He asked me, how many beds do you think were in the state prison in South Carolina in 1866? He said it was, it was 100. It was 100 beds. If the 13th Amendment was designed to re-enslave African-Americans and have mass incarceration, all this stuff that's floating around, why would they only have a hundred beds in a state prison? Because when, when, when you go through and study history from 1865 to 1971, the history, is something, it, it, the history tells you that myth is not true. So, um, in this article here, he was, he said, when I started going back and searching, I learned about Lee Wood, the guy who was in prison in California and said he discovered this, this quote unquote loophole in the 13th Amendment, which doesn't exist. He had an epiphany when he read the 13th Amendment among a group of prisoners. You can understand that the claim by prisoners is from the be from the very beginning, a weapon in the struggle to change their world. So he thought, okay, this is why I'm in prison. This is 13th Amendment. No, that's not why. But the academics, the people who are paid for their thinking and research are going along with the movement, this 13th movement, because it's popular. It's also in the, it's also in the, 
1619 project because it's popular. They don't seem to have a critical capacity capacity to say, we see what you're doing, but we differ with you. Okay, re read this here. Uh, bad history and worse social science have replaced truth. This is from uh, March 10th, 2021 from um, History News Network. But watch the, we may rebroadcast that also. Watch the, um, watch the uh, interview I did with them. I think we have an audio podcast format also. All right. Let's continue here. Uh, okay. Lastly, with this article here from New York Times. Uh, quote, we're having real deal conversations where people may not have been having those conversations before conversations we should have had a long time ago, uh, Marika Coleman said. Okay, so this deals with uh, the effort to remove racist language from the Alabama state constitution that's been there since 1901. It's been there since 1901. And that's a, once again, that's a picture of Marika Coleman here, who is uh, in the um, state house of representatives uh, for Alabama. Alabama begins removing racist language from its constitution. This article was updated October 7th, 2021. Okay, let's go back quickly here to uh, the one here dealing with uh, Attorney Fred Gray. Okay, this is a great piece. We may talk about this some Sunday also because we're almost out of time here. Uh, it goes through and gives some history dealing with the civil rights movement and the role Attorney Fred Gray uh, play. So the street that attorney Fred Gray grew up on is uh, being renamed after him. Okay. The street was named Jeff Davis Avenue or Jefferson Davis Avenue named after Jefferson Davis, who was the uh, president of the Confederacy, a, a, a traitor to the union, slave owner, white supremacist. That's the street. That's the name of the street that attorney Fred Gray grew up on. And he wanted to become a civil rights attorney and fight for his people and change this, change what was taking place. Um, if we look at this article here, Montgomery renames Jeff Davis Avenue for civil rights attorney, Fred Gray. This is uh, from October 6, 2021. Uh, Fred Gray grew up on Jeff Davis Avenue in Montgomery, Alabama during segregation and set out on a mission to become an attorney and put things right. A lot has a lot has changed because attorney Fred Gray, because of attorney Fred Gray, whose courtroom victories helped shatter segregation and reshape society. The next thing to change will be the name of his old street. Okay. The Montgomery City Council 
on Tuesday, uh, that was October 5th, Tuesday, October 5th, unanimously voted to rename East and West Jeff Davis Avenue or Jefferson Davis Avenue to Fred D. Gray Avenue in honor of the groundbreaking civil rights attorney after a 10 month push by Mayor Stephen Reed. And Mayor Stephen Reed is the first African-American mayor of um, there in Montgomery, Alabama. Now the change appears to violate, now check this out. This is Alabama's love for the Confederacy. The change appears to violate a state law in Alabama enacted in 2017 amid a fear that cities would move or destroy Confederate monuments. Oh, because we can't take down these monuments to traitors to the union that try to overthrow the government. We can't take this down. We just we have to hold on to these traitors history. It could put the city on the hook for a twenty five thousand dollar fine because of this state law in Alabama. But Mayor St uh, Stephen Reed has said people from across the nation have reached out and offered to pay that fine. He said, we're coming. He said, we're becoming a destination for people who want to come and learn more about the history of this country, because uh, Alabama, especially Montgomery, Alabama, some of this that in Montgomery is the capital. Um, uh, that's crucial to the civil rights movement. That's where the modern day civil rights movement starts in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, with the Montgomery bus boycott. We're becoming a destination for people who want to come and learn more about the history of this country, the good and the bad. And uh, Mayor uh, Stephen Reed uh, is uh, the city of Montgomery, Alabama's first African-American mayor. He said, and block to block, this city and block to block, this city is a tangible link to that history. The good we strive to emulate, the, ba the bad drives us to change. The good we strive to emulate, the bad drives us to change. And to move closer to a more perfect union. Now, naming a street in Attorney Fred Gray's honor, I think would be a reminder of all that is possible, not only in Montgomery, Alabama, but in our nation. Now, uh, Attorney Fred Gray was the legal representative. He was the attorney for several of the civil rights era's most prominent figures, including Rosa Parks and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He still practices law uh, with his Tuskegee-based uh, law firm. Attorney Fred Gray said Tuesday, October 5th, that city government had kept in touch uh, with him about the project. He said, this is a project of the mayors. He expressed it to me. I was very happy about it, okay? I was very happy about it. And, and he said, I am, uh, I am very happy he said, and I am very happy about it. Okay, he expressed it to me. I was very happy about it, and I am very happy about it. Now, Mayor Stephen Reed originally proposed the name change in December, but the process slowed to a crawl in the following months because of unresponsive property owners. 
because of unresponsive property owners. And okay, here's a picture of them here at the city council meeting also. Fred Gray Jr. and Stanley Gray applaud a city council uh, after city council voted unanimously to rename Jeff, uh, Jeff Davis Avenue after their father, attorney Fred Gray. Now, city officials said 54 property owners in the area responded with a yes before Tuesday's vote. Uh, and here's uh here they are with the sign Fred D. Gray Avenue. Wait a second, why isn't this showing up? Okay, here they are with the sign Fred D. Gray Avenue. Now, as a young attorney in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955, attorney Fred Gray represented Claudette Colvin, who nine months before Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus. And later he represented Rosa Parks when uh, when each of, and when he arrested both of them when they were arrested for refusing to give up their seats on city buses. Rosa Parks arrest touched off the Montgomery bus boycott, which started Monday morning, uh, December 5th, 1955, and led attorney Fred Gray to challenge the city segregation laws through a federal lawsuit that became known as Browder versus Gale. And this lawsuit goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And this is this lawsuit is what ends segregation on the buses in Montgomery, Alabama. The plaintiffs in the lawsuit of Browder versus Gale were Aurelia S. Browder, Claudette Colvin, Mary Louise Smith, and Susie McDonald, four African-American women, including Claudette Colvin. They sued Mayor, mayor William A. Gale, who was the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama. They sued the police chief. They sued members of the city council. They sued the Montgomery Bus Lines, Inc. They sued all these people. It was attorney Fred Gray who handled that case and he filed that case February 1st, 1956, that lawsuit. After attorney Fred Gray filed the lawsuit, the draft board reclassified him as 1A and required him to report for military service until the director of the selective service system intervened. He was arrested that same year and charged with filing needless litigation but the indictment was thrown out. The case ultimately led to the desegregation of city buses and rippled through a larger fight against segregation in America and around the world. Attorney Fred Gray would go on to play a role in other landmark civil rights cases, including successfully defending a group of freedom riders and winning the admittance of African-American students to the University of Alabama and Auburn University. 
uh, Roland Martin did a about a one hour interview with uh, Attorney Fred Gray uh, recently here. That's that's that interview you can watch on uh, Roland's new Black Star uh, Media Network, his streaming uh, network. You can download the app from. Um, you can download the app uh, to your smartphone. Uh, it's on Roku. It's uh, on a lot of different streaming services. Apple, Apple, uh, your uh, Apple phone, your um, iPhone, yeah, your, your iPhone, your Android phone. You can download uh, the Black Star Media app. All right, let me see if we can pull this up here. Just a second here. Let's see. Just a second here. Let's try to pull this up. Oh, I'm trying to pull this picture up just a second. Okay, this is attorney, uh, attorney Fred Gray. Legendary civil rights attorney Fred Gray. Now, now after the Selma to Montgomery marchers were beaten on Bloody Sunday, March seventh, nineteen sixty-five, and John Lewis was there. We've all seen the footage and the pictures. After the Selma to Montgomery marchers were beaten on Bloody Sunday, March seventh, nineteen sixty-five, trying to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Uh, Attorney Fred Gray helped secure a federal injunction to allow the march and the marchers a major milestone toward the Voting Rights Act. Uh, Mayor Stephen Reed said he believes the change would send a message to the city's young people, including those who are growing up on Jefferson Davis Avenue today. He said, quote, they can see someone who not only change this country with obstacles and opposition, but changed it with dignity in a way that was done with class. Okay. He said they can see someone who not only changed this country with obstacles and opposition, but changed it with dignity in a way that was done with class. All right. So this is a great story here. Attorney Fred Gray definitely uh, deserves it. And Attorney Fred Gray also represented the uh, 
He also represented the survivors of the Tuskegee experiment of untreated syphilis in a Negro male. He filed a lawsuit on their behalf and won that lawsuit as well. They got one reparations for them. So check out this article. Montgomery renames Jeff Davis Avenue for civil rights attorney Fred Gray. Okay. Um, be sure to register for the 10 week online course that I teach on Saturdays from the civil war to the civil rights movement and black power, 1865 to 1968. Cause we deal with a lot of this information. We, uh, we do with a lot of this information we talked about here and go deep into it. Each class we go through and analyze approximately a 10 year period of history. We look at a timeline of history. We look at chronology from, uh, we look at some history leading up to the civil war taking place. Uh, we start with the Louisiana purchase of 1803, which ties into the Haitian revolution as well. Uh, and then we go through history and, and, uh, we look at the uh, civil war reconstruction, uh, 1865 to 1877. We look at the, uh, uh, Jim Crow era where they're uh, rewriting the state constitutions and we see an increase in domestic terrorism uh, against African-Americans, increase in lynchings and things like this. And the, the South is trying to totally take back control of the state legislatures and, and the local governments and all of this. And they're instituting um, segre they're instituting segregation. You, you see uh, segregation on streetcars and and uh trains and things like this you, you see this in the 1880s okay um in florida is going to be the first state to have uh florida is going to be the first state to have um poll taxes in 1889 it's going to be florida and then we're going to see this adopted by other states also okay Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, things like this. All right. So just a few of the things that we deal with in the class, we go through and look at a chronology of history. Um, and just a few, few of the things we look at is the civil war, why it was fought. Uh, we look at the assassination of Lincoln, uh, special field order number 15, 40 acres and the mule. We look at the, uh, and, and how that land was taken back as well. And, and what special field order number 15 actually was, what 40 acres in the mule actually was. All, um, it, it was 400,000 acres of land. It was coastal land in South Carolina, Florida, and Georgia. Coastal land in South Carolina, Florida, and Georgia. It didn't apply to, it, did, it wasn't land that went to all the former slaves. It wasn't land in all of the South. Okay, that's not, that's not what it was. And then we deal with how that land was taken back. The majority of that land was taken back also. Uh, we deal with the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, the uh, passage of the uh, 13th Amendment and ratification of the 13th Amendment as well, uh, the Reconstruction era in African-Americans uh, making advances and acquiring land, uh, HBCUs being built. All, all this taking place during the Reconstruction era. You're going to have about 2,000 African-Americans voted into uh, elected office uh, and into state legislatures. We look at the Louisiana purses that uh, doubled the territory of the U.S. and they got about 828,000 square miles of land for less than three cents an acre uh, from uh, from France and France stole it from Native Americans and African people who are already here. Uh, we look at the Mexican-American War, 1846 to 1848, which leads to the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo of 1848, which ends the Mexican-American War. 
And we see how all these events that maybe we learned about in school, when we go through and look at it chronologically, we see how these events lead to other events. One of the things that leads to the Civil War taking place is the Mexican-American War, and the U.S. is going to get uh, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and Utah, and Nevada as a result of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which ends the Mexican-American War. And then you're going to have what's known as the uh, Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, and uh, the Kansas-Nebraska Act leads up to the people moving out to that new land, that those new territories, it leads up to them to determine whether or not they're going to have slavery. Um, and this infuriates a lot of abolitionists, helps to intensify the abolitionist movement. And as a direct result of the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, you're going to have the Republican Party founded in 1854, founded by groups of abolitionists. And you can have some members of the Whig Party um, as well who are going to uh, form the uh, Republican Party to be the counter to the Democratic Party at the time. This is before the party realignment takes place that com that's completed in the 1960s, but starts with the Lily White movement in 1928, okay, which we deal with. That's a, that's a whole nother thing. Um, the Kansas-Nebraska Act, then Bleeding Kansas, uh, armed, uh, which is armed uh, conflict between pro-slavery and anti-slavery groups in the Kansas Territory from about 1855 to 1859. You're going to have about 55 people who are killed between pro-slavery groups and anti-slavery groups. Uh, Manifest Destiny is this ideology fueling a lot of this. And Manifest Destiny um, is, in U.S. history, is the supposed inevitability of the continued territorial expansion of the boundaries of the United States westward to the Pacific Ocean and beyond. Before the American, before the uh, U.S. Civil War, 1861 to 1865, the idea of manifest destiny was used to validate uh, continental acquisitions in the Oregon Territory or Oregon country, Texas, which comes into the Union in 1845. Texas wins its independence from Spain, from uh, Mexico in 1836. Spain, uh, uh, Mexico wins its independence from Spain around 1821. New Mexico and California are going to come into the Union as a result of the Mexican-American War. Texas comes into the Union as a slaveholding state in 1845, which has a lot to do with what's going on in Texas right now in the history of Texas. And it's encoded in their state constitution of 1876. Now, the purchase of Alaska after the Civil War briefly revived the concept of manifest destiny, but it most evidently became a renewed force in U.S. foreign policy in the 1890s when the country went to war with Spain, the, uh, the, the Spanish-American War of 1898, which we talk about, the Spanish-American War of 1898. And, and that war is, we see that as the backdrop in the movie uh, Posse, which stars Mario Van Peebles and Melvin Van Peebles. Melvin Van Peebles just passed away because that war, that, that, that movie Posse takes place in 1898, which is when the Spanish-American War started. Okay? And that's a, over a territorial dispute as well. All right? And, and what actually the U.S. gets involved. Actually, Cuba is fighting against Spain over, uh, Cuba is trying to, uh, uh, win their independence from Spain. Cuba, being a colony of Spain, 
goes back to Cuba being conquered by Christopher Columbus in 1492 for the Spanish crown, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. So Cuba is going to war with Spain for their independence. And the U.S. gets involved in that war, the Spanish-American War. That is the backdrop to the movie Posse. That's the war that's taking place there. When it opens, it talks about 1898 and the Spanish-American War. So all this stuff is, all this is connected. All this history is connected. It's connected to movies that we see, things like this. The uh, One of the things we talk about is the, uh, the uh, Kansas exodus, the black exodus to Kansas of 1879. After the Louisiana state elections of 1878, where Democrats take back control of political offices and, and, and uh, statewide elections and the governorship. This is going to cause an exodus from Louisiana and Texas, largely, especially Louisiana, of about 6,000 African-Americans who go into Kansas in 1879 looking for a better way of life. If you saw the movie Buck and the Preacher from the 1970s with Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte and um, uh, Ruby D. And it's about a wagon train of African-Americans going out to the Kansas territory, former slaves going out to the Kansas territory. That movie, the setting takes place a few years before the black exodus of 1879, but African-Americans were going out to Kansas territory before 1879. It's the same theme in the movie, but you're going to have a, a, a mass influx in 1879 going into Kansas, but it's the same thing. They're going, they want to acquire land, looking for a better way of life, uh, uh, ex escaping white supremacy and, 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 and uh, um, former slave owners, things like this uh, uh, in, in Southern states that they came from. It's the same thing. Okay, so these are just a few of the things that we deal with in the class. And we go through a chronology of history and uh, we go through the Jim Crow era. We talk about uh, uh, June 19th, 1865, uh, June 10th. We talk about 40 acres and a mule. We deal with the Freedmen's Bureau, the Freedmen's Bank, the collapse of the Freedmen's Bank in 1874, $2.9 million worth of uh, the African-American uh, uh, African-Americans deposits were lost when the Freedmen's Bank uh, collapsed in 1874. 14th Amendment, we go through all this history. Sarah Rector and the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866 and the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887. And Sarah Rector became the richest Afro-American uh, Afro girl. They called her Afro-American early 1900s. Okay, richest Afro-American girl in the early 1900s when oil is discovered on land that she got and her family got because of the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. And, uh, uh, she was born on Creek Indian land and her parents had in, uh, were of enslaved Creek Indian ancestry because the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, Cherokee and Seminole Indians all owned African slaves. They get pushed off their land in southeastern United States because of the Indian Removal Act of 1830 signed by President Andrew Jackson. His secretary of war was Lewis Cass that Cass Technical High School here in Detroit is named after because Cass, uh, Lewis Cass was a white supremacist also. And the third of the people on the Trail of Tears were African people. Lewis Cass helped engineer this genocide on not just Native Americans, but also African people. That's why Cass Technical High School needs to be named after somebody else, needs to be named after an African-American freedom fighter, not after a white supremacist who oppressed African-Americans. 
So we talk about Sarah Rector. Now, Sarah Rector and the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866 and the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887 plays into the history of Tulsa, Oklahoma, because Tulsa was founded by Creek Indians around 1834 when they get pushed off their land in southeastern United States because of the Indian Removal Act, and they go into Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they take the African slaves with them. And Tulsa is uh, comes from the the word Tulsa comes from the Creek Indian word Talasi. So there wasn't there weren't just Native Americans in uh, Oklahoma. There's also African people in Oklahoma as well, African Americans. And you're going to people who classify as black Indians. All this is going on in Oklahoma. A lot of the early African American landowners in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Black Wall Street is, a lot of them got land because of the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887 and the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. That plays into the origins of Tulsa, Oklahoma and Black Wall Street. Okay, so uh, we deal with all this and we, we go through the, um, we look at the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, the Force Acts and um, uh, we look at the Reconstruction Era and we look at uh, the Jim Crow era and things like the uh, Mississippi State Constitution of 1890. Uh, we look at things like the Vicksburg Massacre of 1874 and the Colfax Massacre of 1873, Opelousa Massacre of 1868. We, we, we look at these massacres, these attacks on African-Americans exercising their right to vote, voting people in the office. The, the, the retaliation is going to be domestic terrorism against African-Americans to keep us from voting. We're going to see this during Reconstruction. Then and, and in South Carolina, in South Carolina was the first state to secede from the Union, December 20 of 1860. And South Carolina was also where the Civil War starts, April 12, 1861. The domestic terrorism in South Carolina got so bad that President Ulysses S. Grant in 1871 had to declare martial law in nine counties in South Carolina using the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, which is still on the books right now, even though part of it was struck down around 1883 by the U.S. Supreme Court. But that law is still on the books right now, still being used. And, and, and one of the examples of how it's being used is against a, another domestic terrorist insurrectionist, Donald Trump, because... Um, Recently, there was a lawsuit filed by uh, Capitol Hill police officers uh, because of the January 6th insurrection that Donald Trump led, incited, and told them to go to the U.S. Capitol building. He sent he 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 was the one who sent the hitmen. So you don't just prosecute the hitmen and put them in prison. You 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 prosecute the person who sent the hitmen. That was Trump. Well, there was a lawsuit, and we talked about it here on this show to show you how all this history is connected. Capitol Hill police officers filed a lawsuit against uh, Trump. Let's see if we can pull this article up here. They filed a lawsuit against Donald Trump using the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. Uh, let's see here. Okay, there was what, 
is this the uh i think the there was one more recently than april let's see here also uh representative benny thompson uh of mississippi filed a lawsuit as well against uh trump and and some of the other insurrections leaders of the insurrection let me see something here one there was one uh hold on let's pause okay this one right here New York Times. This is an example. This is from the New York Times. Capitol Police officers sued Trump and allies over election lies in January 6th. The suit, which took a broad view of the riots' origins, was the latest effort to hold former President Donald Trump accountable for the January 6th Capitol attack. This is from April 26, 2021, okay? The lawsuit implicated members of the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, Militia, uh, and uh, Donald Trump Associates, uh, Roger Stone, was, was arguably the most expansive civil effort to date seeking to hold uh, Donald Trump and his allies legally accountable for the storming of the U.S. Capitol. With three other similar lawsuits, while three other similar lawsuits were filed in recent months, the suit on Thursday in April 2021 was the first to allege that Donald Trump worked in concert with both far right extremists and political organizers promoting his basis lies that the uh, presidential election was marred by fraud. Now, the suit contends that Donald Trump and his co-defendants violated the Ku Klux Klan Act, an 1871 statute, an 1871 statute that includes protections against violent conspiracies that interfere with Congress's constitutional duties and, and, and duties of elected officials. Because there were so many elected officials getting uh, attacked and killed uh, during Reconstruction that they had to pass these force acts and the, the, the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871 is the third of four force acts. And this, give, and this gives the, the president authority to uh, declare martial law because of domestic terrorism. Okay. Uh, that the law has been weakened since 1871, but this is what Ulysses S. Grant did in nine counties in South Carolina because they were attacking um, African-American elected officials and, and white Republicans who were allies of African-Americans, things like this, attacking them, beating them up, killing them, things like this. Okay, so uh, these are just a few of the things that we deal with in the class. Close, and we talk about the, the state constitutions and how they were rewritten to impose white supremacy, codify white supremacy, and uh, take back control of state legislatures and elected office, uh, et cetera.
Okay, in the Mississippi State Constitution of 1890, that 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 was the uh, model that other states are going to use. It was called the Mississippi Plan. And Solomon Saladin Calhoun, who was the white county judge that presided over the Mississippi State Convention, said, we are here to exclude. We came here to exclude the Negro. He said it explicitly why they were there. We came here to exclude the Negro. All right. Look, so that's just a sample of some of the things we deal with in the class. Okay, so uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, register for the 10-week online course. As soon as you register, you can start watching uh, content. You watched last week's class. And uh, we do this class on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we go through and analyze approximately a 10-year period of history uh, each class. We'll post a link here. You can register for it. And it's at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And another class that I teach is uh, on Sundays, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And this one, we deal with thousands of years of history. We deal with ancient Africa and Ghana, Sanghai, Mali, the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. We do this on Sundays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. And then we deal with uh, what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place and go through study that. So um, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement, that picks up basically where understanding the transatlantic slave trade leaves off. All right. Uh, we have to get out of here. Remember, the African History Network, we focus on educating. Oh, and also um, the uh, right here. Friday, October 15th through Sunday, October 17th, the uh, Social Justice uh, Conference at uh, Hartford Memorial Baptist Church, the Social Justice Conference. Keynote speaker on Saturday, that Saturday, the keynote speaker uh, will be uh, Minnesota uh, Attorney General, Minnesota State Attorney General Keith Ellison, who led the prosecution uh, of... Um, Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd. Visit the website hmbcdetroit.org. It's for Hartford Memorial Baptist Church, hmbcdetroit.org. Uh, tickets are $25. Um, tickets are $25. You can register at the door. Uh, they're saying we're going to have some more information for you. Um, they have workshops that Saturday, October 16th, I'll be doing one of the workshops. This year's theme is the black church. From my understanding, we're going to get some more details, some more information. I, I've spoken here a few times in the past. They had me speak there. Uh, they had me do workshops and participate in this social justice conference. I'll be, they, they'll have vendors there on Saturday. Also, I'll be a vendor as well. We'll have a vendor booth for the African, uh, history network. Um, so we'll post this link here, okay? And it's going to be uh, it's going to be really really good. We'll get to hear from uh, Keith Ellison also, and we'll post we'll get information at our website AfricanHistoryNetwork.com about it as well, okay? All right, we have to get out of here. Remember, at the African History Network we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you uh, next time. Talk to you on Sunday. Peace.